morning, Rocky Peak. It's great to, uh, to see you again. If, if, we didn't, if you weren't here when we were doing prayer and stuff earlier, my name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors, and uh, it's great to be back with you. And so we're going to go uh, into this time of teaching right now. And as Trish men- mentioned, that if you haven't reached inside your program and taken out the green and white message note sheet, you'll definitely want to do that because we're going to be using it a lot today that help you follow along. But if you're all ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here in your place uh, underneath your leadership. And as we talk today about how you've come to be the ultimate shepherd in our life, whether some big things or small things, the way we think, the decisions we make, uh, the choices that lead to life. God, we just pray that you would be opening our, our ears. And Jesus, as you promised, you said that your sheep hear your voice. And we pray that today that that would be true in our lives, that we would discern your voice in the midst of all the words that are shared. And and kind of what our next step in following you is. We pray this in your name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, our story starts today early in the morning. Uh, he is just waking up. The sun's just starting to come through the shutters in his room. And uh, as he, he wakes up, he remembers he's got a full day ahead of him. He's going to be traveling many miles today. And uh, so he gets up, he gets dressed, has a big breakfast to support him uh, for the day, to get the day started right. And then he heads out the, this home, this home he's grown up in. Um, it's in a fairly small village. Um, he knows every nook and cranny of this village. He knows every narrow winding path through the town. And so he takes the one that leaves out from his front door. And when he gets to the edge of the village, he starts heading for the closest hill where is a local uh, enclosure, uh, what we might call a sheep pit. Uh, th- this is where um, that the shepherds in town, when they're, when they're in town and not out with their sheep, this is where they come at night to leave their sheep for the night. So they're safe. They're safe from wild animals. They're safe, from, uh, they're, they're safe from, from being stolen, from robbers. And, uh, and so when he, when he gets there, uh, of course, there's a gate to this large enclosure. There's no roof on it, but it's large walls, enclosure. And he... Um, he goes to pick up his sheep that he's actually dropped off the night before for safekeeping. And so he says hi to the security guard that's always there. He's grown up with him as well. He knows him well. And the security guard opens up the gate for him, and he goes in. But as he goes in, um, if you were there, what you would see is this massive sheep, you know, that's uh, not just his small herd, but, but during the night, as you'd expect, his small herd has intermingled with all the small herds of those in this town in this village, and so now it's kind of hard to tell, like, one sheep from another. And the question is, how is he going to identify his own sheep? And then even if he can identify them, how is he going to separate them from this kind of large herd so he can lead them out for their destination today? Well, today, uh, we're continuing a series that we've been in now for about the last uh, six or seven months that has to do with the Gospel of John. It's called Signs, uh, the Path to Life. And for those of you who are new, this is an in-depth study of the life and teaching of Jesus, seen through the eyes of one of Jesus' closest followers and friends, a man that we call John or the Apostle John. And uh, if you've been with us in this series, last week we, we covered chapter 9. We're almost halfway through this gospel. And today we come to one of the most important chapters in the gospel of John. It's John chapter 10. And one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. 
And so if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, I encourage you to open up and turn with me to John chapter 10. There in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Signs, Sheep, and Shepherds. We're going to cover the first 21 verses of this chapter today. Um, but before we jump into the passage, I need to set the stage. So if you were here last week, we watched as Jesus performed his sixth of seven supernatural signs that John is highlighting in this gospel that help us to understand who Jesus is and why he's come and the path to life. It's why we call this series Signs. And so if you are here last week, we watched as Jesus was in Jerusalem and he healed the man who was born blind. And this caused a big stir because Jesus once again chose to heal this man on the Sabbath. And for the religious leaders of Jerusalem, they saw this as a violation of the word of God. So they saw Jesus as a false prophet. Yes, he's doing miracles, but back in Deuteronomy, Israel was told if someone comes and does miracles, and yet they tell you to disobey the law of Moses, then you need to reject them. So they saw this based on their interpretation of scripture as a violation of that law. So they saw Jesus as a false prophet. And so they really put the pressure on this blind man to come clean and to renounce his allegiance to Jesus and to change his story. But if you were here, you saw he refused to do this. And he had come to believe in Jesus as a result of this sixth sign. And so he refused to cave to this pressure of these spiritual shepherds of the nation that were leading the nation astray. And so it's in light of this teaching, it's in light of this event, this blind man who recognizes who Jesus is, these spiritual leaders who should be able to see but are actually blind, it's in light of that that Jesus does his famous teaching in John chapter 10 on sheep and shepherds. So with that, we'll jump in. And we'll look to start at verse 1. So Jesus starts, and he says, very truly. Now, as we've seen in the Gospel of John, whenever the NIV version says very truly, what does that mean? Amen. Yeah, it's, it's in the Greek, it's amen, amen. It's kind of the way Jesus says, uh, puts neon lights around something. Hey, this is really important. Don't miss this. So that's how it starts. Amen, amen. I tell you, Pharisees, you religious leaders, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. Now, um, for his audience, for his Jewish audience in the first century he's talking to, they all get sheep, shepherds, sheep pens. This is something they're all familiar with. My hunch is most of us are not familiar with that. So if we're going to understand this long teaching, Jesus is going to begin today on sheep, sheep pens, shepherds, we need to understand a little bit about shepherding in the ancient Near East. And so the first thing we under, need to understand is that, that, you know, sometimes shepherds would spend the night with their flocks. You may remember back in the book of Genesis, Jacob would often stay out cold nights with his flocks, guarding his flocks. Uh, you remember when Jesus was born, the shepherds outside Bethlehem were there, and they were guarding their, their flocks by night. So so we see that happen, but of course, there's many times when, uh, during times of the year that's colder, or just when they're, they're near home, the shepherds are going to bring their flocks home for the night. But of course, this creates a problem. You go to your house in the village, what do you do with the sheep? You know, they're just going to get lost or, or wander off. And so communities would have these community sheep pens. There would be an area like a, that, that you would like a, you, you come together, 
uh, and you would drop your sheep off for the night. They would be kind of large walled, uh, kind of walled areas, no roof on these things. But uh, there would be often a watchman that were there, like a security guard to make sure no one breaks in. And so this is the scene as Jesus begins to teach on this passage. And so he says in verse 1, he starts off the teaching, Very truly, amen, amen, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, that would be the normal way, but climbs in some other way, like they're climbing up the middle of the night or whatever, is a thief and a robber. Obviously, they're up to no good. Now, Jesus is not telling them something they don't know. They understand this. I'm explaining it because we don't know it. But for them, yeah, this whole analogy, uh, it's going to make sense. It's just kind of quite, what's he mean by it? And so he says, so the one who enters by the gate, that's the way a normal shepherd would enter, he's the shepherd of the sheep. And the gatekeeper, you remember the security guard, he opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice, and he calls them his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. So this takes us back to the story we started the day with about this young man, who wakes up early, uh, heads, you know, heads out, got a big day ahead of him, has breakfast, heads out to the local sheep pen. And when we left him, we asked the question, how is he going to recognize his sheep from the other sheep, let alone uh, get them to you know, separate them out? It looks like just one big, huge mess. But here's the thing. You may not know. I mean, I wouldn't know this unless I've studied it. But here's the thing. Sheep are not very smart. All right? First thing which is really interesting that God so often calls us uh, sheep. But anyway, uh, they're not very sharp. They're not very brave. They get scared easily. They're sort of helpless, really, without their shepherd. Um, but they're very loyal, and sheep, they actually form a very close relationship with their shepherd. So they, they actually get to know the sound of his voice, kind of an intuitive type of sound. You know, they, they recognize him, and they'll follow him. So actually, it turns out this is no problem at all, that when the shepherd shows up, he just says, hey, y'all, let's go. And the rest of the sheep that aren't his, they just stay there. His sheep just come on out. Now, sometimes we're told that these shepherds would actually sing them a song. The shepherds would have a song. They just start singing their song, and then the sheep come. Sometimes they call them by name. Hey, Ringo. Hey, you know, whatever. And they just kind of start coming out. So this is really not an issue. You show up. You just call your sheep, and then they follow you out. You can lead them out for the day. And that's what Jesus says in verse 4 when he brought them, um, when he had brought out all of his own. He goes on ahead of them. His sheep follow him because they what? They know his voice. I want you to catch that. This is going to be a major part of Jesus' teaching today. And so he says, but they'll never follow a stranger. Remember I told you how timid sheep are. Uh, in fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize the stranger's voice. So Jesus used this figure of speech, John says, but the Pharisees didn't understand what he's telling them. Not that he didn't understand the whole thing about going over the, you know, going over the wall or sheep coming out when he called. They, 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 they know that. Well, they're not sure what his point is. And so as he go, continues to unpack this long teaching, uh, Jesus is going to begin to make some points about himself, about his sheep. Uh, he's going to take this whole analogy and begin to kind of draw out certain truths that he wants to teach. So verse 7, he says, therefore, um, Jesus said to them again, very truly. So here's truth number one. I am the what? I'm the gate, or I'm the door. And so uh, what's he talking about? Well, if you're a sheep, uh, the gate or the door into the sheepfold 
is your path to life, right? If you're a sheep, why? Because it's the way you enter into safety and protection by night. It's the way you go out and you're fed and watered by day. It's sort of your path to life. This is very similar to what Jesus will say later in John 14, I am the way. You know, let me say, I'm the way, the truth, I'm the way. And so he says, uh, I'm the, the, uh, the gate of the sheep, and all who've come before me, and honestly here, we're not really sure what Jesus is referring to. I mean, he could be referring to like false religious teachers, like the shepherds of Israel that we just read about last week, who kicked this man out of the synagogue for believing in Jesus. Or he could be referring to men who rose up in the first century and claimed to be the Messiah. That happened often in the first century. But either way, he says, all who've come before me are thieves and robbers. They're the type that are, are really not looking out for the best interests of the sheep. They're trying to use the sheep for themselves. And so he said, all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. He says, the sheep have this intuitive sense. And so much like the blind man last week, remember when the religious leaders tried to get him to renounce Jesus, that even though they were the educated ones, even when they knew the Bible like the back of their hand, he didn't cave to them because he could hear the voice of his shepherd. And so in verse uh, 9, uh, Jesus comes back to us, I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved, or uh, in the Greek, will be kept safe, you know, find their way to life. They'll come in, they'll go out, they'll find pasture. Now, the thief, remember the thieves are those who climb over the walls, these false shepherds. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and they might have what? Have it to the full. Now, you all need to wake up. It's 11 o'clock here. <laughs> this is like, it's my first week back. I need a little more out of you, all right? So let's do it again. So this, this is one of those famous verses in all the Bible, isn't it? Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have what? Life, and they might what? Have it to the full. Great, welcome to the service. All right, so, so we're gonna, very famous passage. We're gonna come back to that later. Now, verse 11, Jesus is going to extend the analogy. Remember, at this point, he hasn't really identified who the shepherds are, but now he's going to use this analogy and apply it to himself, and he says, I am, one of his I, I am statements, I am the good shepherd. Now, for Israel, for Jewish people, this statement has a lot more depth, richness, and power than for most of us because it's deeply rooted in the Old Testament and the history of Israel. We'll come back to that later. But he says, I am the good shepherd. It's quite the claim. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Catch that. There's an intimate relationship, an intuitive spiritual connection between Jesus and his sheep. In fact, he says the relationship between him and his sheep is similar to his relationship with his father, which is quite the comparison. So in verse 15, just as the father knows me and I know the father, and uh, he says, and, and he introduces some of you, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now remember, you and I are reading this with 21st century eyes. We're looking back. We understand Jesus died for our sins. But remember when he said this, no one expect, none of his followers expected him to die. And so this would have been very mysterious language. And yet when they, after his death and resurrection, they'd look back on this in new eyes, they would understand it then. 
And so Jesus is saying, not only did I come to give, my, to, to give the sheep life and life to the full, but that life I'm going to give the sheep is going to cost me, come at the cost of my life. Right? And they, they wouldn't have understood this at the time, but of course it takes on new meaning later on. And so verse 16, he says something else that they won't understand at the time. He says, I have other sheep that are not of my sheep pen. So he's talking to Jewish people who thought in terms of the Messiah uh, being the one that would shepherd Israel. But of course, the bigger picture is that Jesus is going to come to shepherd the whole world. And so what he's telling them, as we'll see unfolded in the New Testament, is that I have other sheep, and referring to Gentiles, not just Jewish people, and that the goal of Jesus' coming is to, to create this new flock where all the old barriers between Jew and Gentile are broken down. One new community of the king, what today we call the church of Jesus. And so he says, um, he, uh, he says in verse um, 14, I'm the, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. And just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen, and I must bring them also, they too will listen to my voice. Catch that analogy. They'll hear my voice, and they'll be one flock and one shepherd. Now, I'm going to go back to verse uh, 11, because I think I skipped a couple verses, not by intention, but just because I'm tired. And uh, verse 11, it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, but then he contrasts it to the hired hand, right? The difference between a shepherd who owns the sheep and loves the sheep, contrasts it with the employee and he says, the hired hand is not the shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, of course, he just abandons the sheep and runs away. And the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. Now let's go back where we stopped at verse 17. And he, he's going to talk more about laying down his life for the sheep. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life uh, only to take it up again. He says, one of the reasons the father loves me is because I, I'm going to do what the Father asked me to do and actually give up my life for the sake of the sheep. But it's not just laying down my life. He begins to talk in veiled ways about the resurrection. Again, they would not have picked up on this, but only to take it up again. So verse 18, he says, no one takes it from me. In other words, when I give up my life, it's not going to be an accident. It's not going to be outside my control, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up. And this is interesting. Normally in the New Testament, when Jesus talks about the resurrection or we're, we're taught about the resurrection, it's the language that's normally used is that the Father raised the Son from the dead or that the Son was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit. But here it's, it's put the Son has the power to lay down his life and uh, actually give himself back life, raise his life up. And he said, this command I received from my father. So all this talk about sheep and shepherds, again, very confusing. And the crowd is going to be very divided. On the one hand, we saw this back in chapter 7, Dre was teaching a couple of weeks ago, very divided. Some member back then said he's a Samaritan, which was like a racial slur. This guy's a Samaritan. He's got a demon. Uh, but others said, hey, I think he's a prophet. Um, I think he might even be the Messiah. Well, we're going to see a similar kind of division today. And so in verse 19, it says, The Jews who heard these words were divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed. He's raving mad. Why do you keep listening to him? But others said, Hey, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. We may not follow all this, but there's a logic to it. There's a sense to it. 
Uh, that's not the way a demon would inspire someone to speak. And on top of that, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That's a big deal. Is Remember, he's just opened this guy's blind eyes, and this was the argument the blind man made. Hey, we know God doesn't listen to those who don't uh, follow him, and so if you open the eyes, my, like, isn't it obvious who he's from? And so the crowd is divided. Now, Jesus next week uh, in the John's Gospel uh, the next verse is going to jump ahead a couple months to December of the year, um, where Jesus is going to return to Jerusalem for the Feast of Dedication, and he's going to return to this sheep-shepherd analogy, but we're going to stop it here today, because what I want to do is focus in on this sheep-shepherd uh, analogy that Jesus uses, and I want to highlight three important truths that Jesus is highlighting for our lives who he is, who we, uh, who we are, what it looks like to follow him, and then ask one uh, really important, powerful question at the end. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Signs the Good Shepherd. And uh, I just want to kind of, go through three basic teachings of Jesus. Some of these we've seen before. And so like we've seen often in the Gospel of John, it's often layer upon layer. It's taking the diamond and, and kind of twisting it in the light to catch new, new light from different facets. And we'll see some of that today. So let's jump in. First of all, the first thing that Jesus is doing, he's making a huge claim. It may not be so clear to us as 21st century Christ followers who are often not as familiar with our Old Testament. But in the context of Israel, their history in the Old Testament, a huge claim. So here's his first claim that Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. He's the ultimate shepherd of Israel. In fact, he's this ultimate shepherd of the world. Now, like I say, this analogy of sheep and shepherds has a long and deep history in the nation of Israel. In fact, in the ancient Near East, so if you go back, you know, to the to time of the Old Testament kings and all that, that uh, it wasn't just Israel, but uh, often countries would talk about their rulers, um, their leaders of their nation as shepherds, as shepherds of the nation. This was a common analogy. And of course, Israel did this too, like the kings of Israel were sometimes called shepherds. Um, God himself, remember in Psalm 23, uh, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, that I, I shall not lack. And so this is a, a frequent analogy in the Old Testament in the life of Israel. And I want to give you one very powerful example of it in one of those famous uh, important chapters, I think, in the Old Testament is Ezekiel 34. And so there in your note sheet, I put it there just to make it simple. But in this passage, uh, God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, is calling into account the shepherds of the nation. In other words, the, the, uh, the political and religious leaders of the nation. And so this is what God says. He says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. They're like these hired hands that Jesus was talking about. They're not really caring for the sheep. They're just using the sheep. And of course, this is always the temptation of those in leadership, right, is to is to not serve the sheep, take care of the sheep, but to abuse the sheep for their own purposes. And that's what was happening in Israel. So he says, Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? Uh, you eat the curds, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the choice animals, but you don't take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, 
bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. Now, I want you to think about this, and I want you to think about Jesus and how often he presented himself as a shepherd. I want you to think of this. When Jesus said he presented himself as the shepherd who would leave the 99 to go after the one. I want you to think of the gospel writers as Jesus is trying to get his men away for some R&R. They show up on the far side of the Sea of Galilee, and he sees the crowds who have beat him there. And Jesus says, I have compassion for them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. Right? We see this over and over. And so here then, as this passage goes on, so they were scattered, the sheep were scattered, because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, then they became vulnerable. They became food to wild animals. So God starts the passage by taking the leaders of Israel, the political and religious leaders, to task for not shepherding the sheep well. And so then later in this passage, God says, because you have not shepherded them well, I personally will step in to shepherd them well. And so later on, you see the next passage in the same, same chapter. God says, I myself will search for my sheep and I will look after them as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them. So I will look after my sheep. I'll rescue them from all the places they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I myself will tend my sheep. I will have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. So God says, you're not doing it. I will personally take care of my sheep. But here's where it gets really interesting. Because later in the chapter, he says the way that he is going to come and take care of his, his sheep is an allusion to the Messiah, the one from the tribe of, of David. And so if you look at the next passage, he says, I will place over them one what? Shepherd. I'll place over them one shepherd. He's talking about the, the nation, and, and it'll be my servant David. In other words, a descendant of David. And he will tend them, and he will tend them, and he will be their shepherd. So what I want you to catch, when Jesus in Jerusalem with the religious leaders identifies himself, I am the good shepherd. This is not just a haphazard analogy. He is stepping into the narrative of Israel and saying, I am the ultimate shepherd that was promised to come to shepherd the nation, and not just the nation, but the world, all right? Now, number two, the second point Jesus is making is one that we've seen all the way through John, but here he makes it again, and it goes like this, that Jesus came to give us life. Now, one of the dangers of doing a study like we're doing through the Gospel of John is you can begin to hear something so many times, like, oh, you already know that, but this is a core claim. It's why we call this series Signs, The Path to Life, kind of life with a capital L, is because this is what Jesus has been saying from day one in the Gospel of John, that he's come to give us life. We're a fallen race. We live in darkness. We are spiritually dead. He's come to give us back our life. And so I want you to think at how many ways Jesus has said this, how many different metaphors, how many different allusions he's used. So I want you to think with me, back in chapter 3, let's see if anyone remembers this. Back in chapter 3, he says to the religious leader Nicodemus, if anyone wants to be part of my kingdom, you must be born again. Born again. That's great. 9 o'clock didn't get it, so I'm encouraged. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
uh, I just needed one person to remember. That's good enough. It keeps me going for another few weeks. Uh, yeah. Uh, he says, if you want to be part of my kingdom, something supernatural has to happen to you. It's like you have to be born again, new life. We get to chapter four. He says to the Samaritan woman at the well, I know you're so thirsty. I have come to give you living water to satisfy the deepest thirst of your heart. You're trying to satisfy it with all these men. There's something more. We get to chapter six. After he fed the 5,000, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never go hungry. They'll be satisfied. We get to chapter seven. He goes back to the water analogy. He said, whoever believes in me, out of them will flow rivers of living water. In chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, will have the light of life. He's said this over and over again. But here we come to chapter 10. He says it in the most clear way. We'll see it in the entire Gospel of John. In such a familiar verse. There in your note sheet, I'm sure many of you have memorized this. In John 10, 10, I highlighted as we went through, he said, I have come that they may have life and they might have it what? To the full. Now, I want to spend a couple moments on that phrase, to the full, because it's, it's powerful. Uh, so we're going to just do a little bit of Greek study here, not a lot, uh, but a little Greek. So the, the phrase to the full is actually a single word in Greek, and it's the word parasos. It's not an unusual word. So if you want to write it down, it's P-E-R-I-S-S-O-S. P-E-R-I-S-S-O-S. Emphasis, uh, accent on the last syllable, parasas, right? And so here's the thing. Uh, if you were to look up that word in the most authoritative Greek dictionary of the New Testament, on the one I use every week, right? You're going to look it up. I want to give you some synonyms. Right? Last night I said cinnamons. Uh, it's because I just got back from a long motorcycle trip and had a lot of cinnamon rolls. But anyway, um, so I'm, I'm going to give you some. Now, I would recommend you write down some of these, all right? Because Jesus is making quite the statement here. So here's some. If you look it up, here are some of the synonyms that, that for this word parasites. Extraordinary. Second synonym, Remarkable. Third, abundant. Many of us learn the verse like that. I've come in out of life and have it abundantly, right? Uh, fourth, profuse. Fifth, more than enough. So this is quite the claim, right? So, so Jesus here, once again, using the analogy of sheep that are well taken care of, he said, I have come that they might have life parasas, that they might have remarkable extraordinary, abundant, profuse, over the top, more than enough life. Now, of course, the question is, is do we believe him? That's all in the issue. But I want you to catch what he's claiming. Now, number three, the third, the third principle that flows throughout this entire teaching that goes to the heart of it is Jesus says that Jesus' sheep hear his voice, that there is a unique relationship it's a very deep, um, a deep kind of spiritual connection, uh, an intuitive 
connection between Jesus and his sheep, between his followers. In fact, it's so profound. He says it's, it's like, like they know me. And remember, the biblical word know doesn't mean just like intellectual. It means like experiential knowledge. They know me in a similar way that I know the Father. There's a deep intuitive knowledge. And so he says this over and over. He says it at the beginning of the, when the shepherd goes to the, the sheep pen, he just calls his sheep and they hear his voice and they follow him out. He, he says later on that uh, he has other sheep from a different flock and they too will hear his voice. And in the middle of the passage, he talks about my sheep, hear my voice and I know them. And next week, He'll, we'll see this in John chapter 10, verse 27 there in your, in your note sheet. He'll come back to this. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Now, in context, we have a great example of what he's talking about. Because, remember, this teaching comes right after this incident of the healing of the blind man. And so you have these spiritual shepherds of Israel who should be hearing the voice of the ultimate shepherd but they're not. They're spiritually blind. They, they want to kill Jesus. But you have this blind man who's a social outcast, never read a word of scripture, he's blind, um, who understands who Jesus is. And rem- so, so he hears the voice of the shepherd. The leaders that you expect to hear it don't hear it. And it's interesting because if you think about this man, he doesn't know the Bible that well. He can't read Hebrew like they have, um, and yet he recognizes the voice of the shepherd, and they don't. You see what I'm saying? That there's a, like this is, this teaching comes in the context of this illustration. And so Jesus says that there's a very unique relationship between himself and his followers. It's a supernatural relationship. Their knowledge of him is very intuitive, and they hear his voice, right? So three big picture truths. So I'm going to build on this now. Three big picture truths. Jesus is the ultimate shepherd, not only of Israel, but of the human race. Secondly, he's come to give us life. And this life comes as we listen and follow the voice. And third thing is that his sheep hear his voice, intuitive sense of his leadership in their lives. Now, that's a foundation, Everything that I've said so far is prepared us for what we're going to do now, all right? So what I want to do is begin to apply this to our lives, and I want to ask just a single question that we're going to look at from a couple different angles of what this says to us as followers of Jesus. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called Signs, the Key Question. So let me give you the question, and then I want to break it down and take it a couple different directions. So here's the question. The question is for you, not for your person next to you. But how closely are you listening to the voice of your shepherd? So if you're a follower of Jesus, or if you're just examining the claims of Jesus, you're not yet a follower, how closely are you listening to the voice of, for the voice of, of your shepherd in your life? Now, I want to I I attack this. I want to kind of come at this from a couple different angles. I want to come at this first from the big picture issue that Jesus is addressing. Because if you, if you look at this teaching of Jesus in, in light of its context, I think the main thing that Jesus is saying is that Jesus' followers have an intuitive sense that he is who he claims to be. 
and they, they recognize him as the Messiah, and they can follow him. That's kind of his point. The, the religious leaders aren't his sheep, and he'll say that next, you're not my sheep, you know? So they don't hear his voice. It's like he's coming to the sheep pen of their life and calling, and they're like afraid of him. They're staying away. They don't recognize who he is. He's the good shepherd. They don't recognize him. There's people that in the crowd that like this blind man who are recognizing who Jesus is, and they're following him. So that's the big picture point. Are you with me? That some people are going to hear his voice and follow him. Some people are not. That's the big picture. Now, for many of you, you can probably relate to this. Like if you became a follower of Jesus when you were very young, this may be harder to relate to this. But if you became a follower of Jesus uh, in later your teen years or as an adult, um, you'll probably remember this, very likely, that when you came to Jesus, there was a moment in time, and whether it happened like instantaneously or over a, a set of months or weeks or whatever, where your eyes were open to who Jesus was. Like, for example, for some of you, you came here to Rocky Peak. Someone invited you. Um, you never really got into church much. You didn't have much of a church background. Um, maybe you had grown up Catholic and just kind of a couple times a year, but you don't have really a lot of background. But as you began coming, something began to happen to you. You began to sense there was something here. Something was supernatural here. You couldn't put your finger on it at first, but, but you were sensing something was special here. And as you came, it's like your eyes gradually were open to who Jesus is. You began to hear his voice in your life, and, and you, you transitioned over, and you became a follower of Jesus and you recognize, you would have said, hey, before, this is how I saw Jesus. But then after, this is how I saw, I once didn't see him as a good shepherd. Now I do. Your whole view. For some of you, this happened very instantaneously. For some of you, you may have been, whether it's here at Rocky Peak, it might be another church, it might be a Greg Laurie Harvest Conference. But you, you went in, not as a believer of Jesus, but something happened while someone was talking about Jesus, and your eyes were open, and all of a sudden, it's like, where have I been all my life? He is who he claims to be. And you can remember that. Uh, I've shared before, I think, the story, my wife's story. I think she was 17, um, and uh, she had gone to a, uh, to kind of a, a mountain retreat, like a, a weekend retreat with a youth group. And uh, if you were to ask her, uh, what the man was speaking about, who's teaching, she probably couldn't tell you if uh, something about the second coming or something like that. Um, but, but, but in her words, that as he was teaching, she knew intuitively that I need whatever it is he's talking about. And so when that teaching was over, she went back into the back room to give her life to Jesus, not really understanding all about the atonement, not really understanding all about the cross, but just this deep sense that it was true. This was true, and she knew it in a way deeper than intellect. It was an intuitive sense that this is true, and she gave her life to Jesus, and her life was never the same, right? And so, so this is what happens, whether it happens overnight or whether it happens over a period of time, is that when someone comes to Jesus... 
it's like someone begins to mess with the frequency dial in our head and we begin to hear his voice. That, that, that this is the truth, right? And this continues to happen as we follow Jesus. There's a, a really interesting passage later in the New Testament. This passage is not on your note sheet, so you may want to write it down to check it out later. It's a really interesting passage. It's written by the Apostle John in his first letter. So it's 1 John chapter 2, verses 20 through 27. And John teaches a very similar truth about my sheep hear my voice, but he uses a different analogy. So in the Old Testament, when a king was chosen by God to be the king, when a priest was uh, set apart for service of God in the temple, that they would anoint him with oil. And this would be a symbol of the Holy Spirit being separated unto God. And so John picks up that analogy. And this church, that, these churches that John is writing to, here's a situation. They have followed Jesus, but in their midst, that there have been some new teachers that, catch this, have risen from within the church. So these are men who, at one point, loved Jesus, were orthodox believers who now are beginning to rise up from within the church and saying, hey, we've had it wrong about Jesus and the path to life, and they're introducing new false teaching. And John's writing to correct that. And what he says to them, he says, listen, you all have an anointing from the Holy One. You've come to Jesus. You have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. Like, it's another way of saying, my sheep hear my voice. You have an anointing. And he says, so you don't need anyone to teach you about this new false doctrine. But as his anointing teaches you, and as it's real and not counterfeit, so abide in him. You see what he's saying? He's saying, hey, listen, you're followers of Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit. You don't need anyone to tell you that this new teaching is off. You just need to pay attention to what his anointing is showing you. Are you with me? You following this? And here's what I want you to catch, men and women. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a spiritual anointing in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are his sheep. And if you're paying attention, you can hear his voice. Now, Remember, I want to talk about this in a macro level and a micro level, at big picture truth level and then personal guidance level, right? So let's talk about this, this macro level, that what was happening in John's day where uh, solid churches who loved Jesus were having false teachers rise up claiming new, new teaching, that that's happened throughout church history. In fact, if you look at the New Testament, many of our letters in the New Testament are written just because of that. This happens. It's one of the ways the enemy works. That men or women who are solid, orthodox Jesus followers suddenly get off track and begin teaching things that are not true about Jesus or the path of life. And it's important we recognize this because we can be taken in if we're not listening for the voice of our shepherd. Like right now, we live in the midst of a crazy culture, don't we? It's a culture that's coming apart at the seams. There's so much I could say about that, but I'm, I'm just going to leave it there. Uh, it's coming apart. 
And as a result of that, here's what's going to happen. It's already starting to happen, but it will happen more. That you will see within, within um, godly churches, you'll see it within evangelical movement that's been straight arrow following Jesus. You're going to see that the more our culture changes, there is going to be people that rise up in the church of Jesus who were once straight arrow, followers of Jesus, orthodox believers, who are going to begin to introduce what the apostle Peter calls destructive heresies, right? even denying the Savior that, that bought them. That's the way Peter puts it. And, and so we're going to see, you're going to see people rise up and catch this. These people are going to be intelligent. They're going to be sharp. They're going to be bright, and they're going to know their Bibles, it's going to be like, uh, like in this illustration today, it's going to be like these religious leaders that should have been shepherds, like they know their Bibles, like what, they're the ones leading the people astray. No, the Bible says that you shouldn't, uh, you should obey the Sabbath and this is what it means. And so like they were the intelligent ones, they were the educated ones. And they're going to be rising up in the church of Jesus saying, you know what, that we know that We've always believed this, but now we know, based on the Greek, based on the Hebrew, based on the culture, we've had it wrong all these years. And when that happens, it's very tempting to say, well, who am I to know? I, I don't know the Hebrew. I don't know the Greek. I don't know these ancient studies. They sound really good. It certainly aligns with where our culture is going. And it's be very tempting to not listen to the voice of the shepherd. But the reality is, you are his sheep. And you have his voice. And if you're paying attention, you will hear it. So you say, what does that look like? Well, let me just give you two or three practical examples. It's like not so mystical, you know? Um, uh, there will be people within the church of Jesus that will say, I know we've always believed that, that when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, he's the only way, right? But there will be people that rise up in the church of Jesus say, we've just misunderstood that when he said that I am the way. He didn't really mean the way, he meant a way, and here's why we know that now. That really, like, everyone will eventually be saved because God is love and he wants that to happen. And, you know, 18 reasons why. There will be people that rise up. It's already happening in the church of Jesus that will say, hey, we know what the Bible says about human sexuality. We, we know that. The Bible is very clear that, that sex is an incredible gift that's given to bond one man to one woman for a lifetime of love and commitment, what we call marriage, and that within that, uh, that relationship that children can be raised and godly children can be raised to know the truth in a safe environment, but we've kind of had it wrong all these years. And we know what the Bible says about same-sex relationships, but if you actually go back, did you know there's only six passages that specifically name that? And, you know, if you actually go back and you look at it, it was just kind of part of the culture. And it wasn't really talking about promiscuous relationships or about uh, same-sex. It was talking about promiscuous same-sex relationships. It was talking about uh, authoritative, domineering same-sex relationships, like new masters. and so It wasn't really talking about kind of mutual, committed 
lifelong commitment of marriage with Satan. Listen, we're even talking about that. There's going to be people that rise up and say, in, in the midst of our culture that's been captivated so rapidly by this transgender ideology, right? And just to be clear here, there really is uh, a very real thing called gender dysphoria that can be very difficult and painful for someone. That's, that's a very minority kind of thing. But in our culture, as everything is being redefined, all limits that God has put in our, la- our race to identify are being pushed back upon. There'll be people within the church, yeah, we know what God says about created in his image, male and female. And, and we know what Jesus, that Jesus reiterated that teaching, but now we know that there's really a separation between gender and sex. They don't really go together. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to embrace this because this is the loving thing to do. Are you with me? And here's the thing. There's going to be many times in your life where you're going to go, well, I don't know. I don't know the Hebrew. I don't know the Greek. But you don't need to. (laughs) You are his sheep. And your sheep hear his voice. And in the same way that that blind man didn't have the education, he didn't have the background, he couldn't enter into all the sophisticated debates about Sabbath, but he knew the voice of his shepherd. And he was able to stand against all the pressure because he was listening to the voice. And so we need to, we start here. We need to, we need to talk about uh, listening, you know, how carefully are we listening on these critical issues that are hitting us as a culture right now. But then we also need to ask how closely are we listening in a personal dimension? Because here's the beautiful thing. You know, Psalm 23, famous psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, he leads me by the quiet waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. For the follower of Jesus, that psalm becomes a personal psalm. And if you have not embraced the realities of that psalm in your life, this is a challenge to do so. That when you became a follower of Jesus, you came under the leadership of the ultimate shepherd in your life, the one who has come to lead you in the path of life, and he wants to lead you. He wants to lead you in your relationships. He wants to lead you in your sexuality. He wants to lead you in your finances. He wants to lead you and shepherd you in your parenting. He wants to shepherd you in your career, that he has come to give you life. And the question is, are we listening? You know, this, uh, this uh, last few weeks, you know, Lynn and I have been on vacation. And uh, we did something we'd really never done exactly before. Usually, I don't go on a long motorcycle trip unless she leaves me. Um, and um, so she'll go to Europe or something with a friend. And then it's like, okay, what do I do? I guess go on a motorcycle trip. Um, but this time, we, we did it a little differently. Um, that uh, we decided that we were going to take this kind of first week and be together, and at the end of the time, be together. But in the meantime, that uh, we're going to go separate ways. And I was really the driving force because I wanted to go on a long motorcycle trip. And, and so I did. I, I went like nine and a half days, went 3,700 miles, uh, went to Montana to my sister's uh, uh, ranch, 
Uh, went to Spokane, visited all those friends we got rooted from. Remember that years ago? Uh, nothing to report this year, by the way. Uh, and, uh, and just had a, a great time. But can I tell you something? This is very routine for me. At the start of a vacation, I often have a conversation with Jesus that goes like this. Lord, you know I need my soul restored. And the fact of the matter is, I don't know how to do that. I'm not the best. I don't know how much to read. I don't know how much to watch movies. I don't know how much to ride, how much to hang with people. I don't know how much to, you know, like off-road or on-road. Like, I don't know, like, the best way to restore my soul. But you're my shepherd. And so as I start this vacation, would you shepherd me to restore my soul? And he's so faithful to do that and to watch it happen. And you know what? I believe in our lives so many times the Lord wants to shepherd us in these different areas of our life, but the fact is we're just not listening. Sometimes because we don't expect it. We don't know that he's our shepherd. He wants to do this. Like, let me give you an example. You know, a lot of people are leaving the state right now. And I think for many people, that's the right answer. Super clear on this that we've lost a ton of people. To, we've got like Rocky Peaks all over the United States now. Um, you know, from, from people in Colorado and Tennessee and Idaho and Texas and Arizona. So, I, so we've had so many people leave our churches last year. And I think for many of those, that is a good reason, right? But it's not, it's, it, uh, God is calling them. Are you clear? I'm not trying to bag on that. Uh, I think, they, but here's the thing. Sometimes, You'll talk to someone, and it's like, I'm just getting out of this state, and I can't have the taxes, and the governor, and this vaccination, this mass thing, and it's so liberal, and blah, 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 right? And so I'm getting out of the state. You know, like, have you talked with your shepherd about that? No, I don't need to talk to him. I know. <laughs> right? And then you, you find out months later, how's it going? Not so well. We can, how, we're not really adapting. We... Have you found church? No, we thought it'd be easy, but we really have, and we're still watching you online, and, but we're, we're looking for a church. We haven't really, how are your kids doing? Well, they're not really, it's kind of been a hard time, right? And it all could have been avoided if it was just going to the shepherd and saying, well, I'm super frustrated with this state, and I, I had it up here, but I, it's not about me. It's about you. I'm trusting you. You know, this last year and a half, for me, there's no question, the hardest time in ministry in almost 40 years of ministry, right? Very difficult time. Can I tell you how many times I've gone to Jesus and said, I need you to shepherd me right now. Like, I need a shepherd. You're asking me to shepherd this church I don't know what to do. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's got a thought. I don't care about that. I care about what you want us to do. That's all I care about. But if I'm going to shepherd them, I need you to shepherd me. Men, when we're going through very difficult times right now, and we need our shepherd, you need a shepherd to shepherd you and how to parent your kids in crazy times. You need a shepherd to shepherd you in your marriage in this time of tension, this time of inflation, this time of cultural. You need a, someone to shepherd you how to think about vaccines. 
It's crazy right now, the disunity, the attacks from Christians on Christians over vaccines. Are you kidding me? We need a shepherd. We need a shepherd. And so the question is, I want to ask you, how carefully are you listening for the voice of your shepherd? And here's what I found. It's hard to listen for the voice of your shepherd when you're moving at the speed of light. It's easy to miss, isn't it? And so the question I have, as we go through these challenging times, more than ever before, we need to be pressing into our shepherd, paying attention to what he's showing us, listening for his voice in our life, looking in direction, because he's promised that the reason he's come is to leave us, lead us to life, life that's remarkable, <laughs> life that's excelling, life that's abundant, life that's profuse, Life that's more than enough, that it only comes when we listen and then follow the voice of our shepherd. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, we come once again, and we thank you for the beauty of your word. And, Jesus, really for your beauty, for who you are, the way that you come into our lives, you open our ears to hear who you are, and then you shepherd us. And Father, we pray that as we sing this song, as we sing these words, that I look to you. God, may that be the posture of our life, that we look to you, that we would not be overwhelmed, that we would not be discouraged, but that we would find the direction, the strength, the life that we need to move into the future you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's stand up, Rocky. Let's go to worship.